You may be seated. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, musicians. Maybe you're wondering, where is the scripture reading? It's not in the bulletin. Do not worry. I will be reading a lot of scripture in this sermon. But I want to start with a story. I think it was June. I don't really remember very well because this part of my life is probably more foggy in my mind than it should be. There were leaves on the trees. I remember the green, and it was pretty hot. And one day I pulled into the parking lot of the church I was currently working at, and I opened the door of my Jetta. I swung my feet out, about ready to get out of the car, and then it hit me. I knew it was coming. I felt as if I was standing on a beach, watching a giant wave about to crash over me, and I couldn't get away. Here it comes again, I thought, as this wave of sadness, both from the inside and from the outside, hit me at the same time, and I was overwhelmed. I wanted to run. I wanted to run away from this sadness, but it was like my feet were stuck in the sand and I couldn't get away. And the depression washed over me again, drenching me from head to foot. And I remember blinking to hold back tears. I said, you've got to get it together, Joy. You have to go to work. I knew that there was nothing in particular for me to be sad about. I was in a loving marriage. I had two beautiful, healthy children, a three-year-old and a six-month-old at the time. But I spent those days as someone who had her hand dipped in a bowl of sadness. My pastor said to me, how are you doing, Joy? And I said, it's like my hand is in a bowl of sadness and I can't get it out. It was depression. That's what it was. I'd I'd take those depression questionnaires, the ones they send to new moms. Maybe some of you have taken one of those. And I would fill it out, and I'd always be right on the cusp because I continued to be fairly productive in my life. I didn't lay in bed all day. I couldn't. The children needed me. I had to work. But this depression followed me around like a portable tsunami and add weight afraid for when the next wave would wash over me. Keep it together, Joy, I'd say, in my head, trying not to cry. What made it worse was that my children were at such wonderful and delightful ages, and I really wanted to enjoy them. I knew the time was precious. People say to new moms, you know, the days are long, but the years are short. But I was just too sad. And then I'd have this regret that I wasn't enjoying them, and it would lead to further depression. I remember thinking of the psalm, the verse that says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you downcast, O my soul? This month, Pastor Lars and I are preaching on being overwhelmed. Feelings of worry, anxiety, depression... Two weeks ago, I preached about worry, and last week, Pastor Lars gave a message on anxiety, and this week, I'm speaking on depression. Last week, Pastor Lars confessed to us that he has never been someone who struggled with anxiety, but as a pastoral counselor, he's walked alongside many people who have. But 
I have known the unfortunate friend of depression. That's what someone called it who I spoke to about their depression when preparing for the sermon, an unfortunate friend. And this unfortunate friend touches all of us. Some of us have or are or have been depressed, and some of us may experience seasons of sadness, postpartum depression, depression that stems from loss and grief. Some of us know someone who has been depressed or is depressed, and whether your hand has been dipped into the bowl of sadness or you hold the hand of someone who has, It's my prayer today that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and invite you into a place of hope and that some light will shine over the dark horizon. So today we're going to explore depression from a biblical perspective because I want you to know that if you experience depression, you are not alone. Scripture is full of articulations of depressed feelings and characters who are depressed. Remember, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for broken people. And we come together, people who are broken but created in God's image, to seek healing and wholeness from the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who redeems us. And so if you struggle with depression, there is a place for you here, and you are not alone. And it's our prayer that by acknowledging our brokenness together to Jesus, we will begin to experience the healing and freedom he has for us. We're also going to take some time to look at some of the causes of depression, which might help some of us who struggle with it to understand it better, and the rest of us who don't struggle with it to have more compassion and empathy for others. So we begin with scripture. The psalmist writes about this feeling of depression all the time. If you go through the psalms, you will find psalm after psalm after psalm that articulate a feeling of depression. There is a few, I'm gonna mention some, there's more listed in your bulletin. But we begin with Psalm 6-6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Have you done this? Have you wept all night? Has the pillowcase been wet in the morning? You feel awful the next day. I've done this. And then to top it all off, you have to change the sheets, which is exhausting, and it contributes to your depression. (laughs) Another psalm is Psalm 22, and it explores the relationship between emotional and physical pain where the sorrow of the heart radiates into the body. And David articulates it in this psalm, which if you read from the beginning is the psalm that Jesus prayed on the cross. Verses 14 through 15 say, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 88 is one psalm out of 150 that doesn't end on a hopeful note. This is actually marked wrong. The one that begins, for my soul is full of troubles. It is Psalm 88, not 24. So here's a significant portion of it. 
for my soul is full of troubles. I am like those who have no help, for like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. I'm going to paraphrase the psalmist here. I am as good as dead. I am forsaken. I'm not remembered. Can you hear this loneliness of the psalmist? I'm alone. The troubles are inside of me. And then from this, the psalmist blames God right here. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Overwhelmed, overwhelmed with waves. Have you been there? Have you had your own experience of the wave of depression drowning you from the inside and the outside? This psalmist has. You're not alone. And then finally, the psalmist addresses God, again asking why. Oh Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides, they close in on me, inside and outside. And then it ends. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. That is the end of Psalm 88. No hope. One translation, the NIV, ends it like this. Darkness is my closest friend. One person who struggled with depression shared with me that she would close all the curtains to keep out the light in the middle of the day. Darkness is my closest friend. And for those of us who just have a natural tendency toward melancholy, and I'm with you, who can easily become depressed, this psalm can actually be a wonder. The Bible says this? I find comfort in that. And I'm showing you these passages because I want you to know the narrative of God's story does not exclude those who struggle with depression. These feelings, this emotional state, is part of the fabric of experience of the people of God in a world that is still awaiting for final redemption. And reading these psalms can help you identify depression in your own heart. But beyond these poetic depictions of depression, we can witness it in the lives of biblical characters. Maybe you've heard of Elijah. He was a prophet of God from the 9th century B.C., And if this is a story you've not heard before or don't remember since Sunday school, I really encourage you to go back and read it. It's an amazing story. So in 1 Kings 18, we read this story about how Elijah oversees a showdown on Mount Carmel between 450 prophets of the false god Baal and his own god Yahweh. One prophet, 450 prophets. And then after this showdown, which of course Elijah slash Yahweh, really Yahweh, wins, hands down. Elijah flees for his life from the king and the king's wife because they want to kill him. And so we read in 1 Kings 19, 3 through 5. Then Elijah was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. 
Elijah is fleeing for his life. He's alone. He's left his servant. And once he makes it to the wilderness, he sits down under a broom bush and prays that he might die. I mean, it's amazing. He has just experienced this amazing act of God. He's been victorious, but this is not enough to bolster him into some ongoing emotional high. Instead, he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I am ready to die. Please. And he lays down and falls asleep. I think he's depressed. The cause makes sense. There's been huge interpersonal conflict and major events. Those are two things that can lead to depression. And now he's running for his life. And his words might be the same, the words that we pray in our depression. I have had enough, Lord. I'm ready to go, please. Almost a thousand years later, John the Baptist is thrown into prison by King Herod because John has articulated a faithful sexual ethic to the king. The king has married his brother's wife. And so, in retaliation, he's thrown into prison. And from prison, John sends a message to Jesus. This is the same Jesus that John has baptized, the one that he's proclaimed to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now John is asking, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for someone else? Imagine, John has been a preacher his whole life. He's been preaching repentance. He's been the voice in the wilderness that was prophesied by Isaiah, preparing a way for Jesus, and now he's in prison? I wonder if he's depressed. I mean, I mean, he's experienced a loss, and loss leads to grief. He's lost his vocation. And I bet he's disappointed, too. This hope he had in Jesus that he proclaimed to the masses, it hasn't been fulfilled. Can you hear the longing? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we wait for someone else? And this might be the same question we ask Jesus in our depression. Jesus are you the one I thought you were? Maybe I was wrong. Maybe my hope was misplaced. Aren't you the one who saves? Aren't you the one who calms the storm? Did I get it right? Or was my hope misplaced? And these stories from the Bible and our own stories show us that we are not alone. And we see from these stories in the Psalms that depression can take many forms. Short-lived gloom, in time, in to deep times of immobility of spirit and body, a, a feeling of being pressed down, depressed. And it's painful. It's painful, and all people, no matter their faith, are susceptible because it's part of the emotional pollution in this world as we still wait for God to finish his new creation. Depression can cause feelings of hopelessness, despair, isolation, worthlessness, emotional numbness. It can be accompanied by prolonged weeping, remember Psalm 6, or a complete feeling of emotional apathy. People with de depression have different ways of describing it. One said, it's an empty feeling, not good or bad. My friend Jo has experienced so much depression, she wrote a book about it. This is uh, from the UK. She describes her depression as its own being, with a life 
that needed no reasons to exist. It sat in my tummy and made me feel like I had eaten rocks. It wrapped itself around my chest and made it hard to breathe. It jumped up and down on my head, poking its fingers around in my brain, making me confused. It puffed itself up like a cloud and obscured the light. It came everywhere with me, and it stopped people from seeing who I was. Joe's struggle, like many of ours, is because we wonder why. Why do I feel this way? Well, there are several causes of depression. We can put them into four general categories, but it is important to know that most depression does not have one singular root cause. It's sort of more like a recipe, bad recipe, but in which different contributing ingredients factor into one's emotional and spiritual state. So I'm gonna look at four of these. So first is our experiences, our experiences. These are things that we have no control over, things that happen to us. The first is abuse. So people who are victims of sexual, physical, emotional abuse are more vulnerable to depression. Death or loss is another. Grief resulting from a death or a loss. When I say loss, I mean a retirement, changing jobs, moving. Those things are loss. Loss of a beloved pet, right? All those things are loss. A grief from this loss is to be expected and is healthy. However, it can increase the likeliness of depression. Experiences from our families of origin. We learn thought patterns and action patterns from our families of origin that may or may not lend themselves toward depression. Those are our experiences. And sometimes for people who are experiencing depression that has experiential causes, seeking counseling from a therapist or psychologist can be an effective means of treatment. Our experiences. Second, there are physical realities that contribute to depression. And one is your DNA your genetics. My mom says in our family conversations about this, she says, depression gallops through families. And I'm like, that's true, but I don't know if it gallops. <laughs> I don't know if depression gallops, it's too happy. Um, I haven't found another verb yet. Slinks, it doesn't seem to have the same impact. But anyway, depression is related to DNA and genetics. A second having to do with physical realities are serious illnesses, physical illnesses. Being sick can lead to depression. It can be chemically triggered by another medical condition. For instance, people with thyroid conditions often can tend to be more depressed because of the way their body is being regulated. A third is your brain chemistry. Depleted serotonin is a contributing factor to depression. And so this is why medication is helpful to some people. Theologian J.P. Moreland, who advocates for the use of medication for depression and anxiety, calls them vitamins for the brain. Sometimes we need some help up here, right? Physical realities. There are spiritual factors that can contribute to depression. And as a pastor, this is really where I'm going to emphasize today. Again, if you experience depression, there are likely multiple causes that need to be addressed in a holistic way. But consider this. First, as we witness in the stories of Elijah and John the Baptist, God's people who are on sort of frontline work, the front lines of God's kingdom work, can experience depression 
linked to spiritual oppression from God's enemy. It might feel like depression, and it might actually be spiritual oppression. So I have experienced several very dark and depressing moments, which were usually quite short, that I believe, and they felt like depression I'd experienced before. But I believe, as I look back, and even in that moment, that those were time of spiritual oppression from the enemy of God. I recognized in the moment that this wasn't from within me, and I immediately ask for prayer through laying on of hands. It's also helpful in these moments of oppression to read and quote scripture, prayer and scripture. That's the way to go here. Martin Luther would suffer from severe bouts of depression. He said, the devil vexes me so often, so powerfully, and assaults me so fiercely with heavy and melancholy thoughts that I forget my loving Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or at least behold him far otherwise than he is to be beheld. Spiritual oppression. Also, depression is simply part of the general atmosphere of emotional pollution, i.e. sin, which everyone lives at in the world. Our world is still affected by sin. Not, I don't, I'm not talking right now about your, emotion, your own individual sin. I'll get, that, get there in a minute. But this is part of the effect of sin's presence in the world. It's in the air we breathe, right? Now, finally, in regards to spiritual realities, and I want to be careful here, but this is part of pastoral work. Sometimes unconfessed habitual sin, especially related to substance abuse, gambling, pornography, things that are private, considered private, right? These kinds of habitual sins can and will cause spiritual depression. If we have not experienced the freedom from sin and God's forgiveness, we can be stuck in sin patterns that reinforce and cause depression. Remember, this is not the cause for all depression, but it can be a cause for some people sometimes. And we see this in scripture. If this is, if you, this is causing you to think some, I, I encourage you to go to Psalm 32 and read the whole thing. But it's a psalm of confession. And the psalmist says in verses 3 to 4, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sin, unconfessed sin, can contribute to depression. And so as you're reflecting, if you think there might be a spiritual factor in your own depression, I encourage you to talk to a pastoral counselor about this. That means Pastor Lars or Pastor Simon or myself. As pastoral counselors, this is our area of expertise, okay? And remember, the, the church is a hospital for broken people, not a museum of saints, okay? We want you to seek the forgiveness of God and to be freed from sin that could be causing depression. Finally, the fourth category is choices. Our own choices contribute to our mental health. Remember, we are not just brains or feelings in a vat. We have volition over our body. Our emotional health is related to our physical choices. How we choose to think and how we choose to act contribute to our mental and spiritual health, for example. Substance abuse is related to depression. Often people who feel depressed will seek to self-medicate with alcohol or marijuana or prescription drugs. However, nearly 30% of people with substance abuse problems also have major or clinical depression. 
So even if drugs or alcohol make you feel better temporarily, ultimately they will make depression worse, our choices. How we treat our bodies, how we choose to treat our bodies, simple things like getting enough exercise and sleep. If you've ever been exhausted, it makes depression worse, right? Get enough sleep. Exercise is really good for feeling better, at least a little bit if you can. Being socially isolated. During that dark time I spoke about earlier in the service, I had a really close friend who was also struggling with postpartum depression. But this was the thing. Both of us were so depressed we didn't want to hang out. We didn't call each other. We didn't visit. I mean, and usually we had seen each other at least twice a week. And so we went for months, it seemed like, without really even talking. And the loss of our friendship, even though temporary, contributed to our feelings of depression. Social isolation. We can choose to be isolated or not. Our habits of thinking can lend themselves toward or away from depression, too. Scripture and neuroscience are hand in hand at this point. Through thought patterns form paths in our brains that lend themselves to habits of the mind. And for more on this, I do highly recommend, as Lars did last week, J.P. Moreland's book, Finding Quiet. It is not at the book table because it's not published by InterVarsity Press. But this is a fabulous book that talks about holistic care for anxiety and depression. My friend Joe says, it is so important that we realize that we are never victims. It takes work and practice and an iron will to live with depression and not give in to the temptation to let it dominate our every move. So if you are depressed, maybe you're sitting here wondering when this will be over, this depression, not my sermon. How long? How long? And I want to offer this encouragement. So first, Lean in. If you're depressed, we have a tendency to want to isolate ourselves. That's the worst thing you can do. You have to lean in. First, um, lean in to Jesus. Seek Jesus through prayer and scripture. Sometimes you don't want to pray or read scripture, even if you don't feel like praying. Open your Bible to the middle, find the Psalms, Read the Psalms aloud, even if you don't feel like it. Then you don't have to figure out what to say, and there's a lot that are prayed by depressed people, so you're right where you should be, okay? This kind of stuff is spiritual medicine. It will help you, even if you don't want to do it in the moment. Second, lean into the church. This has to do with that isolation I was talking about earlier. I know that some of us just come on Sundays, and we don't have deep relationships with people here. I know that. That's really tough when you're going through a hard time. But seek out friendships, and I mean real live friendships, not on Facebook, real live friendships with people who are also Jesus followers. Because we have to remember, the church is not this building. If this building burnt down today, well, none of us were here, uh, the church would still exist because the church is the people, not the building. Lean into the people of the church. Ask for prayer after a service. Join a rooted group or a Bible study. Invite people over for dinner. Lean in. And then finally, lean into the hope that Jesus gives us. I hope that through these prayers and poems by depressed people and stories by depressed, of depressed people, you have learned that God wants you to be part of his story. God used Elijah and John the Baptist and the psalmists and Martin Luther and my friend Joe and me and you. I know that feeling that the wave 
is coming and you can't run away. Or that you're drowning in the wave itself. Jesus, don't you care if I drown? But Jesus provides hope to us in the midst of the waves. I'm going to tell one last story that will flush this out a bit. So this past summer, I decided to swing, swim across Hagerman Lake up at uh, camp. We were staying right next to camp in the UP. I did decide to swim the short way across the lake, so don't be too impressed. Um, I am a fairly strong swimmer, and it's not too far. But we have a picture of the lake here. There we go. So that's, that's where I swim. But when you're in the middle of the lake without a life jacket and the wind starts to pick up, it can be a bit daunting. And there was this one moment where I started to feel overwhelmed. I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to sink right here to the bottom of the lake. My children will no longer have a mother and I will have died on my husband's birthday. It was his birthday. That's how I felt. But the truth was that Justin and my son Judah had followed me in a canoe. I didn't feel okay at the moment, but I was. He wouldn't have let me drown. Years of swimming in pools does not fully prepare one for open water swimming, even in that pristine, calm lake. Sometimes we're unprepared, just like that. Sometimes we're unprepared for the emotional result of what our brain chemistry, genetics, physical health, and circumstances can do to our mental health but you are not alone in the lake. You're not alone. God is with you. The Spirit is with you, and you're here now. The church is with you, literally, physically. There is help, and there is hope. And I don't want this to just be an easy answer time, but this is a sermon and not a counseling session, so I want to remind us of who we worship. When you're swimming across a tumultuous body of water, a little bit more than that, perhaps, you have to keep your eyes on the beach. And for you who are followers of Jesus, even in the midst of your deepest moments of depression, we can keep our eyes on the beach by looking forward to the hope we have. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember what is to come. Remember what is to come as John, Jesus' apostle, wrote about in Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. We are not alone. Here's a canoe right next to us. The spirit, the church, there are people with you right now, and the waves can seem overwhelming, but Jesus is there. You have hope. And one day, worry, anxiety, and depression will be no more. The first things will have passed away. So my friends, keep your eyes on the shore. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen.